are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Christ? Why are you a follower of Christ? Think about that for a minute. Why are you a Christian? Because you were raised in church? Because your parents were Christians? If that's the reason why, then if you were born in Iraq, then you most likely would be Muslim, right? Is it just because you were raised in church? Or maybe it's because you believe that good people are Christians and you want to be a good person. Well, I'm sorry to say that you won't stick around church for very long if you believe that because Christians are not always good people. Christians can be selfish and they can be prideful and arrogant and sometimes just plain mean. In fact, the very first thing that you have to admit to become a follower of Christ is that you're not a good person. The Bible says there is none good, no, not one. So why are you a Christian? Well, I've always been a Christian. Well, if that's what you think this morning and you say, I've always been a Christian, then there's a good chance that you're not. See, the Bible tells us there's a moment where you must be born again. Your first birth is not enough. There must be a second birth, a spiritual birth, a time when you ask for forgiveness of your sin, repent of your ways, put your faith on what Jesus did on the cross and become a new creature. Old ways, in the past, everything new. Or maybe you say, I'm a Christian because I want to be blessed. Well, it depends on what you mean by that. If you're talking about peace and joy and comfort and a full life, then you are correct. But if you're looking for more of a more comfortable life or a physical blessings and health, wealth, and prosperity, then I'm sorry to say you're going to be disappointed eventually. They have churches that base uh, their whole mission on what's called prosperity gospel. And the sad thing about that is it, it does work, but it only works for the people at the top. It's a religious pyramid scheme. So why are you a Christian? There were some people thousands of years ago that had to answer this question for themselves in a very real way. There were these young men, possibly teenagers, who were Prisoners of war who were taken to a strange land and forced into all kinds of new custom and and, uh, cultures. They were even made to change their name. Their captors tried to change their diet. They tried to force them into doing things that were against their beliefs. And they had to ask themselves, why am I a follower of God? Is this really worth it? No one back home is going to know if we just fit into this culture, even though it's against how we were raised. Do I really believe this stuff? Well, then the king of the land made this giant statue of himself because he liked to be worshipped, and he thought he was basically God. And he gathered all the people in the land to come bow before that statue and worship it whenever the music played. So these young foreigners had to decide what they were going to do in this culture that was unfamiliar. It would have been way easier just to fit in. Why were they followers of God? They had to ask themselves that. Was it to be comfortable? Was it to be blessed? Was it because they just had always been followers of God because their their parents were? See, when 
the rubber hits the road, those things do not hold water. Now, it wasn't an option for them just to not bow down, right? They had to worship this statue or you would be executed if you didn't. Well, these young men made their choice. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 14, the king said to those young men, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three boys, that you did not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and trigon, harp, and the bagpipe, how many of y'all want some bagpipe in the worship music? Uh, Come on. I do. Uh, when you hear the sound of this music every kind, and every kind of music, then here's what I want you to do, the king says. This is from the king. He says, fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now this shatters what we think of as church, right? And what we think of as following God. This shatters the uh, consumer mentality that we have, that everything should be about us and about our comfort. God, what are you doing? Why'd you put them in this situation? Now see, when today things get hard and when things don't go our way and when things aren't set up to meet our needs, we automatically assume that it needs to be fixed. We automatically assume that uh, things should be about us. The church doesn't have the ministries that we want. If the church doesn't give me credit, if I'm, asked, uh, if I'm not asked to do what others are asked to do, then all of a sudden, I quit. Well, these young men had to stand in front of a blazing, fiery furnace and decide this. Why am I a Christian? Is it for comfort? Is it for blessing? Is it because I've just always been? Now, obviously, there is no limit to what God can do. But sometimes we take for granted that God will. Sometimes God doesn't heal. Sometimes relationships are broken. Sometimes that bill doesn't miraculously get paid off. So what will you do when the answer is no? Verse 16 goes on and says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, And they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Look at these next three words. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These young men didn't even hesitate. They say, we know the one true God can save us, but if not, we will still serve him. They didn't doubt God's power. They knew that he could save them, but they also knew that he might not. And then the king threw him in the fire the end, right? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. That's the end of the story. They died. Let's read on a little bit, see what else is there. It says, verse 26, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. That doesn't happen. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together. They wanted to see what was going on. And they saw that the fire had not 
any power over the bodies of these men. And subsequently, neither did the king, right? He was not a god. The hairs on their heads were uh, not singed. The cloaks were not harmed. They had no smell of fire that had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He changed his mind about who was God, right? Blessed be this God who has sent his angel and delivered his servants and trusted in him and set aside the king's command. And they yielded their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. See, the Bible tells us that the king saw a fourth man in the fire with them. See, God didn't save them from the fire. He saved them in the fire. See, God did rescue them. But these young men were prepared to serve and follow God even if he didn't. There was a woman by the name of Esther who stood before another king because she knew it was right. She put her life on the line. And this is what she said in Esther 4.16. She said, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther stood in front of the king for the persecuted people. And she said, I'm going to do what's right. And if I die, I die. But wait a minute, pastor. They always told me that God wouldn't give me more than I could handle. I'm not sure I could handle that. God wouldn't do that to me. False. God wants you to constantly lean on him. Because one day you will be faced with this question, why am I a Christian? See, we need to get to the point that we realize that we can't do anything without him. We can't handle anything without him. You're going to have to answer this question, why am I a Christian, when your wife gets sick, when you've lost your job, when you're traps in, uh, trapped in the depths of addiction, when your child decides that they don't want a relationship with you anymore. See, when you're standing before the fire and you have a chance to bow out, to give up, to lose faith, to turn back, you have to answer that question for yourself, why am I a Christian? Do I really believe all this? The book of Job is a 42-chapter account of the man that has the most right to get mad at God. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. His wife turned her back on him. And Job struggled. Job had doubts. Job questioned God. He argued with God. But after all of that, this is where Job landed in Job 13, 15. After all the questions, after all the doubts, after all the arguing, this is what Job said. He said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Speaking about the early church and the members of that early church, Paul says this in Hebrews eleven thirty five. 35. See, people don't like to talk about this stuff, right? The times when things go bad. You want the pastor to come tell you that everything's going to change. By the time you hit that door, God's going to make everything happy for you, and you're never going to go through a struggle, and, and, and all your prayers will be answered. Read your Bible. That's not how it works out. Hebrews 11.35, the early church members, says, 
Paul says some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Why? So that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. And this wasn't like a magician's thing where they were put back together. It was it. (laughs) I'm kind of morbid, I guess. Uh, I thought that was funny. Uh, They were killed (laughs) with the sword. (laughs) They went about in skins of sheep and goats. They didn't have all the wealth in the world. They had to wear skins. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated. But the world was not worthy of them, it says. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves and the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Why am I telling you all this? Why, Pastor Phil, you're really bumming us out in this first uh, Sunday of 2019. I'm telling you this because this is reality and this is real. And I've got to tell you the truth that the American dream is an idol. The fact that we believe that we're owed a good job and health and wealth and prosperity is arrogant and misguided. Why? Because there are people all around the world that are fearing for their lives right now because they're Christians. But we don't think anything should be hard for us, right? Don't change the time of the church service or I quit. Don't, hey, if the air conditioning's not working, I'm not coming that Sunday. Oh, the parking lot's getting a little full. I might have to drive around a little bit. Oh, I'm just, forget it. Those people around the world, I guarantee they have answered this question. Why am I a Christian? But we, we give so much attention to so many petty things, things that don't matter in eternity. And I, I'm in it with you. I live it. But see, God does promise you some amazing things. He does promise you eternal life and joy and bliss in his presence, but it's in the next life. That's the whole thing is that like this life is just, is just to get to the next one. Yeah, we get some awesome things right now and we get to have fellowship, but it's all about furthering the kingdom of God. It's not about us. It's about the next life. And see, because of that, it's worth it to suffer for now. And it's an honor to press through hard situations and keep the faith. See, I can't tell you that everything is going to be okay. I can't, and I won't. Why? Because that only works until things aren't okay. And so many Christians aren't here today because something bad happened, and it's real, and they felt it, and someone passed away, or something happened in their life that they just, what, this wasn't supposed to happen because somewhere someone told them everything was going to be awesome if they just trusted in God, but it's not what the Bible tells us. Things get hard. Things hurt. There's pain. But what I can tell you is this. I can tell you that God is God. And God is good. God is God and God is good. Your opinion about God doesn't change who he is. How you feel about God doesn't change who he is. You can deny him. You can be mad at him. You can be angry with him. You can say, forget it. That doesn't change who God is. God is God and God is good. See, we worship God because he made us, not because worshiping him will make our car last longer. 
We worship God because he is all-powerful and all-knowing and he is everywhere, not because he will keep us from getting sick. We worship God because he is God and he deserves our worship. Now, while God doesn't promise you a life of ease, he does promise this, that he will be with you. He knows our struggles and our pain and he sees you right now. He knows you intimately, he sees you, and he loves you. He sees your hurt in your past. He sees that you're struggling with suicidal thoughts. He knows that you struggle with lust, and he still loves you. You can be promised this, that you don't have to be afraid, and that God promises that he will meet our needs, and he won't forget about us. And ultimately, the Bible says if you're a follower of God, then you're an overcomer. And in the end, we will have the victory. See, he doesn't say you won't have any battles. He doesn't say that life will be easy. He says you can overcome them and there's no weapon fashioned against you that can stand and that you ultimately can have the victory. And he also promises that all this hardship and suffering will be worth it all. How does he know that? Because he steps back and sees the whole picture. And yes, in our finite mind, in this moment, things don't make sense, and it, I, I don't like it, and it hurts, and I don't get it, but God steps back and sees the entire thing. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. See, it says the present time. Why is that important? Is because it's not forever, it's just for now. What you're going through is not forever. Where you're at right now is not forever, it's just for now. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, We do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We said this a, a while ago uh, in, a, in a sermon series, to live for the life that lasts. We've got to be reminded that this is temporary, but there's a next life that's going to last forever. And we need to remember in the vastness of the expanse of eternity, your suffering is momentary compared to the glory that is to come. Now, your suffering is not meaningless. It's producing something new in you that is nothing compared to who you were before. So don't waste your suffering. So you can get bitter about it, you can get angry about it, or you can use it. You can say this is an exercise, this is a test, this is a way that I can get better through it. See, your, your suffering is something to work through, not just get through. Because suffering can create the pressure that creates diamonds in us. Suffering, real quick, can help us in five ways. It can help us through repentance. Suffering can call us and others to repent of treasuring anything else before God. Suffering can cause reliance in us. You find out what you really trust when you suffer. 
whether it's people or a bottle or a God that raises the dead, what do you run to when you suffer? Suffering can help us with righteousness because like a parent with a child, God chastens who he loves. And the truth is this, that a parent that doesn't uh, discipline a child doesn't love them. And the right type of discipline is for the good of the child, not the ease of the parent. God is working through our suffering to produce righteousness. It also is working to produce a reward because we just read that our suffering is working rewards in heaven that we will uh, make up every loss by a thousandfold. Do I know what that looks like? No, but I believe it. And lastly, suffering can help us through a reminder. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his suffering. Francis Chan says this. He said, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. Is that where we're at, CBC? Are we stepping out? That's called faith. You remember that scene in Indiana Jones, right, where there's this chasm between them and a, uh, the Holy Grail, right? And he, he looks down and there's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there. But he steps out. And then he steps again. That's faith. That's stepping out when I don't know what's going to happen. And if God doesn't come through, I'm going to be in trouble. If I help this person with their bills, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. But God called me to do it, so I'm going to do it. The church says I, we're going to uh, give this much towards missions, and I don't know how it's going to work out. The numbers don't really make sense. And if God doesn't come through, we're going to be in trouble. He doesn't call us to be comfortable. 600 years ago, there was a man named John Huss who stood against the moral corruption of the church. Huss spoke against indulgences, which was paying for forgiveness of your sins, which would be awesome. I would be broke, but it would be awesome just to say, you know, here's 50 bucks and if I could have forgiveness on what I did. And that a person obtains forgiveness of sin only by true repentance and not by a donation of money to the church. Huss also asserted that no pope or bishop had the right to take up the sword in the name of the church and that Christians ultimately should pray for their enemies, not kill them, and to bless those who curse him. Well, on July 6, 1415, Huss was taken to a cathedral and dressed in all his priestly garments, and then he was stripped of them one by one. He refused one last chance to recant at the stake where he prayed this prayer. Lord Jesus... It is for thee that I patiently endure this cruel death. I pray thee to have mercy on my enemies. He was heard reciting the Psalms as the flames engulfed him at the stake. This type of persecution doesn't just happen in the past. It happens today. The Pew Research Center indicates that there are, no more, uh, there are more people under persecution today than any other time in history. Here's a story 
of an individual that uh, faces that persecution every day in the underground church in China. Here in China, there is such darkness. But even in the midst of this darkness, we are experiencing God's victory. I became a believer 10 years ago. I heard about Christ when I was on a business trip. After that, my entire family came to Christ. But we are not free to share our faith with others. If you are spreading the gospel, Chinese government treats you as a criminal. They want to control the number of Christians. They want to control what God is doing. I hear from time to time of brothers and sisters being persecuted and arrested. Last week, a good friend of mine was taken by the Chinese police. He was questioned and then beaten so bad that he almost died, all because of spreading the gospel. In the city, everywhere you look, there are apartments. Since we can't meet in public, our ministry takes place in the buildings we live in. In the evenings, brothers and sisters in Christ gather together in homes. This is our church. If you ask people on the street, most have never heard of Christ or read the Bible. No one in their family is a believer. The dangers here are driven by darkness, and that darkness can be quite fearful, especially when I think of my family. But God never fears, and He will overcome. So I want to go and share, despite being at risk. I minister to the neighbors that live next door or upstairs. I visit them often. I listen and I share in their life. When I get the chance, I tell the story of Jesus Christ and we pray. And the Holy Spirit works. Every week, we see new people come to Christ. Only two weeks ago, an amazing thing happened we discovered there was another home church meeting at the top of this very same building. In our own building, God had brought up another fellowship. That really humbled us. In the midst of all the darkness, all the persecution, 
the Holy Spirit is moving. He continues to prepare the hearts of people in China. Every day, I have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ, even if it means I could go to prison. For who can have victory over God? Nobody, no matter what country. arrogant and misguided for us to think that serving Christ should be easy, comfortable. What does it take for us to get jaded, for us to turn back and quit? What would it take? Oh, Miss So-and-so said that, you know, I sat in the wrong seat today. Are you seriously ready to say, God can save me from this? But if not, if I perish, I perish. Though he slay me, yet I will serve him. I may not see all the promises that I thought I would, but I know I will in the next life in glory. Can I say, God can rescue me, but if not, I will serve him no matter what. And here's what it boils down to. Is Jesus really all you need. Is he really enough? Job answered that question. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered that question. The early church answered that question. They knew why they followed God. Do you really even worship God or do you just worship what he can do for you? Why am I a Christian? Because Jesus is enough. He is all I need. Is every head bowed and eyes closed? We have been given so much. We've been so blessed. We have this beautiful building to meet in. We've got more building than we can handle. We've got every freedom that's available to a Christian. We've got everything. And the Bible tells us to whom much is given, to whom uh, much is required. Instead of asking this question, how can people serve me? How can I be more comfortable? How could things be more easy for me? Oh yeah, I know the church has got the focus of sharing the gospel, but really this would be easier for me if we would do it this way. Is that what you're focused on? Why are you a follower of God? Why are you a follower of Jesus? Why are you a Christian? An easy way to identify that is what would make you quit. 
if you lost your, church, uh, your, your job, you lost your health, is that what it would take? Is Jesus really all you need? I'm challenging myself by this question. There's been some times in my life where I get angry and I got jaded and, and the things in my past overwhelmed me and I began to wonder if God was who he said he was. Like we saw with Job, it's okay to ask those questions. God's not scared of your questions. He's not scared of your investigation. You <laughs> chase him and, and ask every question you ever wanted. He loves it. He's got the answers. Just don't give up. Maybe you're in that struggle this morning. Let's say, I, I, to be honest, I, I've been, I've been not focused on the right reason to be a follower of God, and I think that's why I'm at where I am. Let's take a few minutes and we'll meditate that on that, and reflect on that, on these questions, these big questions. What if I was faced with a fiery furnace? Could I say, I know God can save me, but if not, I'll still serve him. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, you take a few minutes. Let's pray over these things. Cement them in our heart.